I guess that could go with a lot of things, you know, both the Red Ox and Twins. Derek Hansen, yes. Brad Anderson producing, Jack Michaels on the road. We're somewhere along I-29, he must get his mail because, or, I mean, are they recognizing you as you go go through on I-29 the last couple say, weeks? Do, do you wave at them and they yeah. wave back when Everyone you get knows? to like, uh, you know, like Beersford or wherever you're at right now? <laughs> nice drop. Yeah, the, uh, you know, remember that scene in uh, Christmas Vacation? When Clark was weaving in and out of traffic and he ends up getting stuck underneath like a semi yeah. trailer with yes. his car. And a construction zone between two semis, you know, right now going, okay, let's, uh, all right, let's get out of this construction. All right, let's get back to Tule Highway. But yes, uh, you guys nailed it. I, I should get my mail, I think, on the, on the road. Uh, Derek's got this down pat. Normally when I join you, I'm near uh, like Watertown or someplace. Yeah. I'm actually past that. I'm. I'm uh, cl- closing in on Sioux Falls. Oh, very nice. Man, you, you're, you you're made awesome. solid time then. Good, yes. Yes. It's all uh, I, I, uh, tough uh, guys to say uh, there's some games that wear on you and and uh, that you, it's tough to shake. That was the case last night. It's it's still just the, the film of last night's tough defeat is still kind of wearing on, I'm sure, a lot of fans today and, and me and hopefully not the players because they got to turn around and just play tomorrow. But, boy, I'll tell you, boys, that was a that was a tough defeat last night. Uh, well, the first thing I told you this morning, that was a gut punch. There was no uh, no question about it. And, uh, that was a gut punch. Yeah, no question. And, and you know, I guess it, they always say sometimes after a loss like that, the best thing is to come out the next night. Well, they've got a night to – kind of stew about it here a little bit now as a travel day and we'll be down to Kansas City and uh, maybe that maybe that day off helps when they uh, they get the the, uh, the Monarchs but boy it just seems like when it comes to games that the games that both those teams have to have it's really been the Monarchs have had the upper hedge uh, the, the, the last couple of years it just they kind of yep. seem to be you know the not that the Red Hawks I mean they're I think they're at that level and they certainly can match the Monarchs but head to head they've had the they've had the upper hand you know, remember, guys, yesterday in our, our roundtable, we were talking about, you know, and, and to your point, Brad, for those that didn't listen to the game or watch the game or were at the game last night, game one, and it's a best of three series, and the winner to go to the championship, you know, Wolf Cup finals uh, for the Red Hawks. And, you know, the, you know, two really good pitchers, Matt Hall, who's the pitcher of the year, former Missouri State standout, high draft pick, uh, Diamondbacks. And, you know, he, he came in with a one point one zero earned run average i mean let's not kid ourselves this is uh you know he's tough to get runs off of and then you got kevin mcgovern the maybe the greatest pitcher in the history of the american association throwing for the red hawks and these two guys do not disappoint i mean it, it's everything that was advertised so you know runs were hard to come by ru- base runners were hard to come by and uh you know a little little uh, walk in the in the uh, fourth inning uh, put a you know, man at uh, third, and they loaded the bases, and a fielder's choice uh, scores a run. So the Red Hawks are down a run, and then we went to the sixth, and and boy, finally the Red Hawks, you know, get get a guy on board with one out, and another back-to-back hit, you know, and then then Olin hits that single that you heard in the montage that ties the game. But the Red Hawks kind of left a few on in that sixth inning. They didn't add on. Uh, they had they had them loaded and, and uh, just couldn't get you know a break. Uh, and then in the seventh inning, the Red Hawks get a man aboard. You know it was a uh, you know PD gets on V and Air and and uh, 
the, Drew Ward gets ahead, and then all of a sudden John Silviano flares the ball. Now you're ahead two to one in the seventh, and boy, it just felt like you were you're being held captive by Matt Hall all game, and now you've you've broken free, like you you broke out of prison. You're 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 Andy Dufresne. You're on a boat. You know you're free, and and it's that feeling that my goodness, they're they're, they're going to get game one. You just need to get six outs. And they got three of them in the eighth, and now you just need three outs. And the ninth is. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, too. And how many times have you seen that, Brad, where the starting pitcher just. Uh, and a walk. Nope. And a walk. Oh. Yeah, you kind of broke up there, Jack. Sorry. So. Yeah, there we go. So, anyway, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry about that, D. So, anyway, uh, a couple of walks in the ninth. And, uh, you know, former big leaguer Pete Cosmic comes in. He singles the ball that, that if he hits it, you know, six feet to the right, Pete Maris turns into a double play and the game is over. He goes up the middle, ties the game, and, you know, even 2-2, you get another strikeout. Now there's a couple outs, and, and J.C. Ascara comes in, left-handed batting, pinch hit catcher, and he drills the home run. And, and Brad, you said it best. It was a gut punch. It was a gut punch. And yesterday, guys, we talked about uh, how the Twins can't get past the Yankees. For a while, you know, and maybe even still, the, uh, the Wild, you know, their nemesis seemed to be, uh, what, the Blackhawks maybe, you know, in, in, in certain... Anyone in the playoffs right now in the first <laughs> round. Let's and say St. Louis Hawks just right as now, much as the Blackhawks. Yeah. <laughs> or St. Louis too. For the Wild, it seems to be Kansas City. Maybe that's a question for the uh, the text club today at 35270. Who is it for your school? Who was it for your high school? Who is it? for your high school who is it for your college that that it's that that nemesis team that you you just have trouble getting past and and uh you know so that's all the tough news the silver lining is but we play there so you're telling me there's a chance so i you know i will say you know if, if the red hawks i don't believe in momentum from game to game in baseball i've said that for many years i don't think there is such a thing i think there's momentum within a game I don't think there's momentum from game to game because in baseball, the next day starting pitcher can shut you down. So let's hope that's the case tomorrow night. Tyler Grower has been really good, and uh, we'll see if he can't get it down and they can score more runs and push it to Thursday and let the chips fall where they may. All right, very good. Uh, yeah, we'll talk with Dick Bramer here a little later on in the uh, program. The uh, Twins, how many times can they bounce back? They're running out of time. <laughs> That's right. Um, well. They're five out now with Cleveland winning, despite Mike Trout hitting uh, a home run in his seventh consecutive game. The uh, major league record is eight. I know Don Mattingly has that or has part of that record. Set that back in the late '80s. But Cleveland beat the Angels five to four, so wins in the Royals, and then a five-game series against the Guardians this weekend. So if we don't think the Twins. Uh, the season is uh, is over now. It could be by uh, this this coming weekend, but they're gonna they have no choice. They're gonna have to do some damage this weekend. And boy, the game of football, especially the NFL, has changed. When uh, we start seeing coaches settling for a game-winning 64-yard field goal aye, at the aye, end, aye. I, uh, I I seriously seriously have to scratch my head at what that was all about last night. Yeah, Nathaniel Hackett's probably getting second-guessed a little bit uh, today. When, You know, why are you paying Russell Wilson that money to see him on the sideline where you're trying something from, as you said, Brad, 64 yards out? And Did they forget and, they're uh, not in Denver uh, for that one? I mean, <laughs> right, 
Right, right. You're, you know, you're in Seattle. I get yeah. You heard Kevin Hart on the call. It was a still breeze. Yeah, you're not a mile high. Uh, you're in the Pacific Northwest, which is good. But, yeah, that's it. Two fumbles, uh, by the way. Let's not forget uh, a couple of fumbles by Denver uh, inside, what, the 10, the 5? You know, that, that certainly doesn't help either. No, not at all. I mean, that's and that's what you really can come down to. I mean, you can you can talk about missed field goals. I say that all the time with the Gary Anderson miss too. Is that you know Robert Griffith dropping the ball and mm-hmm. and Randy Moss dropping a sure touchdown and they had to settle for three. Yes, all these little things add up. And I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Jack, and the fact that you know it was you know, you're on the goal line twice. That's 14 points. And I don't know if they, I don't remember if they went the other way and scored on it, but, but you know, much like the Vikings game with a fourth down stop turned into three points, that's a 10-point swing. So you're talking you know, 14 points off the board there. Russell Wilson certainly deserved better on his trip back to Seattle. Yeah, and, and going back to even last night's Red Hawks game, everybody's going to think about that three-run home run by J.C. Ascara in the ninth inning, and I, that's what's fresh in your mind. But, boy, when you have an opportunity to add on and you don't, you know, you're right. That's, you know, games are won or lost sometimes far be, before the, you know, the glaring thing, the missed field goal, the wide lefts, the, you know, things like that. I, yeah, I guess like that. By the way, Derek, you know, and, and Brad, to answer my own question, you know, who was yours? Uh, ours was kind of Minot for some reason. We yeah. had success from time to time, but Minot High, it was in our conference at WDA. We just we just couldn't beat Gene Manson. <laughs> you know, we just couldn't. We just had trouble beating Gene Manson. Now, I don't know who it is for Barnesville. I'm not sure who it is for Lisbon, but ours was kind of mine at high. Well, growing up for us, for me, growing up, Breckenridge was such a good. You know, they were such a powerhouse, oh, sure. and of course, Manoman was in the same conference. Only they were Class C, so those are two oh, schools. Manoman. I mean, so you had Breckenridge and Manoman. Breckenridge would go to the, the like prep bowl and B, and then Manoma yeah. would win it every year in C. So yeah. you had that when I was growing up. But then I think, you know, Ben Elfson's three years that seemed like a bugaboo for Barnesville. Holly obviously won, and then the you know the tables have kind of turned since then. But I, I was always think I was thinking Holly for you guys, and uh, I would say probably for Pelican Rapids too, because I think they beat these Holly beat Pelican I think four yeah. years in a row Just ran in the section over, final yeah, yeah there's some of them were a couple of heartbreakers great too. great games too so yeah, yeah I mean but you know Pelican got the state title the one year you know but yeah. 97 That's too right, so right. something that both Holly and Barnes it's eluded them so it's it's yeah it, it's interesting how that goes when you have uh but, you know, obviously Caledonia in the state title game for a couple of years, too. But i just say Section 1 and AA of Minnesota has pretty much owned that for how long? Yes, for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Well, how about Lisbon? Oh, man. Uh, you know, Lisbon, it seemed like Lemoore, you know, yeah. for a lot of not just football, but a lot of sports, baseball. And uh, maybe, well, and now they're in a different region, so it's a little bit different. But, um Oh man, I'm trying to think. You know, probably these days, probably Central Cass and Kindred, but I think that's the case for a lot of Region One teams. Sure. I mean, they just they've just kind of put themselves head and shoulders above the uh, above the pile there. The FCS just says NDSU say, for uh, everyone. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna say, or like Pat Johnson, West Fargo, uh, Dual Sapo, going. We really don't have one. We don't have. Sorry, we don't yeah. have uh, There's nobody. We we've beaten everybody. <laughs> Although that worm has started to turn a little bit um, these days, too. I think they're starting yes, to catch up a little yes, bit to has. that. So, um, yeah, there's certainly a lot of those. I would say, if, you know, 
where they'll be MIAC, especially for Concordia, it's probably St. John's. Yep. You know, I yep. think you probably get them maybe once or twice a decade. Um, you, know, you know, and I would say for South Dakota State, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the Bison because they've had more success than anybody has against NDSU except when it matters. You're right. Exactly. So, that's, mean, that's the thing. Is that's kind of a, you know, it's, it, it, it teeter-totters a little bit. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff, guys. I uh, I know I was going to mention. I know you're talking to Dick tonight. Uh, does that saying apply then? So you're saying there's a chance uh, with Minnesota, Derek? I I heard you and Brad out of the gate. You didn't really didn't really sound like you were taking that uh, to heart. No, like, they're. I think they're done. I, I mean, it, 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 it would take a minor miracle, and they need the Angels to help them out, then sweep the Royals to get within. You know, you're hoping maybe three by the weekend. Then you know probably take four or five just to be relevant here the last two weeks of the season that's going to be an awful tough task though yeah you can't uh, i guess say three would be probably best say best case scenario maybe two and a half to three and uh, even asking them to win four or five i guess even three of five would give you a shot because you'd gain at least uh what a couple of games mm-hmm. out of that deal so or at least one um i don't know i just I, they're gonna have to 69 and 70 right now Win they're below 500. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, mean, it's, it's I, mean just... I, I think that's one. They're under 500. So how can you really consider them a in a candidate? But to win 85 games is, I think, will probably you know at least put you in consideration to win the division. And they're going to go 16 and 11. They haven't proved they can play that good of baseball, and they haven't done that in a couple of months. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good, good, uh, good stuff. And I know my final thought as I drive today, guys, is uh, can can you be out of it in September of the National Football League? Wow. Everybody back off the Cowboys. Could you for a second? I get it. I know. It's tough. It's tough. It's bad. <laughs> Can you be out of it in September? How many NFL teams are out of it already after week one? Yeah. You know, that's uh, that's all of us hearing through the overnight. Maybe tonight. Dallas can find their Kurt Warner or uh, Tom Brady to come in and, you know, just uh, all of a sudden light it up and never lose the job again. Maybe that uh, can happen for him. Who knows? But uh yeah, well, the, yeah, well, the one factor is that's not been a very good division, and no. you know, is nine and eight or ten and seven going to win that division? And uh, who knows? I mean, they, you know, if they can kind of gum their way through it a little bit, and you know, it's kind of same thing with the Vikings. We loved what the Vikings did against the Packers, but I'd be more impressed if they can go to, into a hostile environment and beat the Eagles on Monday night. Well, it's funny in last night's game what it does too, because we think that the NFC's toughest division is probably the West. And we thought that the worst team maybe going for a franchise quarterback and tanking the whole season was what team? The team that's all alone in first place right now, the Seattle Seahawks, right. when you have the Cards and the Rams and the 49ers all 0-1 on the season. I mean, you can't figure out anything in this league. That's why the NFL is number one with a bullet because you just never know from week to week what you're going to see. That's right. That never happened at Tecmo Bowl. I'll tell you no, that. No, that's that for sure. Never happened at Especially if you had Bo Jackson, you knew you were going to win. So, <laughs> all right, right, Jack, we'll let you get going here and uh, enjoy your travels. Be safe. I would tell you to enjoy some barbecue, but you can't. So, I mean, I don't know what more to say. So, yeah, that's right. I've got this new thing called this hands-free now. This mm. is unbelievable how you can do this on, well, on yeah. the road. Oh yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Your eyes have been opened up after all these yes. years, haven't they? Very nice. Something new for Uncle Jack. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jack. Get some rest tonight, and we'll enjoy your call tomorrow night. 
Okay, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. Jack Michaels, the host of the Jack Michaels Show, on the road heading down to Kansas City as the Monarchs and Red Ox will go at it again tomorrow night right here on 740 The Fan. Game three, if necessary, will be on Jack FM. We'll have NFL football here, the Twins in Kansas City, all three nights on KFGO. So a busy sports week ahead, that is for sure. Brad Anderson, Derek Hansen, and we got Dick Bramer coming up. The Twins Wrap brought to you by Jefferson Lines on the way. And welcome to another edition of the Twins Wrap. Derek Hansen, Brad Anderson, along with the television play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Twins, Dick Bramer. And, well, Dick, I guess the question goes... It's going to be tough. They're not out of it, but they've really dug themselves a hole going into the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, it was uh, a very disappointing weekend, uh, losing all three to the Guardians when the Twins were poised. They thought, especially after that win, the last game in New York, to really have a good series. And the Guardians from the get-go took control of games one and two. And, uh, you know, what, another uh, one-run loss on Friday, a two-run loss, or maybe even a one-run loss on Saturday, I forget, a three-run loss, but all three were winnable games. And the Guardians, for whatever reason, have had the Twins number this year, and it goes back to the prior series at Target Field between the two teams and then that five-game series in Cleveland where the Twins actually won a couple of ball games but could have easily swept that five-game series. And probably if they had, knocked the uh, Guardians uh, out of realistic contention. Uh, They had the same opportunity about the same time with the White Sox and stumbled. So it is what it is. They've got five games with Cleveland coming up this weekend, and I suspect when we have this chat uh, next Tuesday, we'll have a clearer idea as to where exactly the Twins are at. It's funny you mentioned that previous series because we were talking about late June, I do believe, right? Where they, they and they had all those games that are leading, and we know the bullpen woes certainly at that time of the season. And boy, it just it, that's kind of a microcosm of this. You know, this, this I guess division is going to be won pretty much on that. How Cleveland knocked out the Twins was just head-to-head matchups. Well, and they've done it with uh, the youngest uh, roster in the major leagues, uh, if not the lowest, the second lowest payroll. They did absolutely nothing of any substantive nature uh, before the trade deadline. And I don't think there's any question that Terry Francona is going to be a Hall of Fame manager, and he's probably done his best job managing. And that's saying a lot, right? Guys won World Series before. He's probably done the best job managing this year than he's ever done. It's been a wonderful thing to see if you could separate your twins fandom from the situation because no one gave them much of a chance, including uh, one might argue some members of the front office because they didn't invest in this team at all. And now here they are with a three game lead over Chicago and a five game lead over the twins. No question. You know, I think it comes down to, yeah, obviously injuries are going to happen and all that, but man, having two pitchers making a deal in the off season for a pitcher and making a deal during right before the trade deadline for two pitchers that weren't able to help you out. I think when I think back on 2022, that's going to be one of the biggest things that sticks out in my mind. Well, you know, the twins addressed what their needs uh, were before the trade deadline. At least I thought they did. And Fulmer's been okay. And Lopez has been okay. He hasn't been the lights out reliever. He was with the Orioles. Malley was pitching well before he got hurt. But I think if we get to the point here, and it might be next Tuesday when we talk, a post-mortem about this season for the Twins. I I think the thing that I'll carry forward is 
they've got to get more innings pitched out of their starting rotation. You can't have a couple of guys in the rotation that you don't trust to pitch in the sixth inning or maybe even the fifth inning. And the Twins have had two of those guys. Archer, who's hurt now. Bundy has pretty much been a five-inning guy. You, you know, And you look at Cleveland, and they've got guys like Quantrill, Bieber, certainly McKenzie. They regularly go six or seven, and then they turn the game over to a much more rested bullpen. So uh, the Twins at the invested in what was an obvious need. They needed relief pitching. They got it. And I think some of what we're seeing with maybe Fulmer and Lopez not pitching as well as they did for their prior teams, simply because they've had to pitch so much more than they would have instead been traded to the Guardians. So I'm guessing that everybody's aware of the fact that you've got to have starters who are prepared physically, mentally, whatever, to pitch into the sixth inning and beyond, because if you don't, eventually it'll catch up with you. There's no question about that. Is it something where the pitchers maybe have to uh, maybe stand up and, 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 and say something to Rocco, to Pete Mackey, whoever it is, to say, you know, I'm good. I, I'm ready to go to the sixth or seventh. Or is it, you know, come down to a managerial decision? Well, I, I think they've done that. I think uh, I know Dylan Bundy wants to be more than a five inning pitcher. Uh, but, you know, then you've got to support it when you are given the opportunity to do that then you've got to face that lineup the third time and post up competitive, good numbers. And the times that the Twins have tried to do that, it hasn't worked out real well. Even Sonny Gray, the third time through the order, has um, not had uh, as good a time, as, as easy a time the third time as maybe the first and second time. So, you know, it goes back to the pitching philosophy that we see throughout baseball. It's not just the Twins. Throw as hard as you can for as long as you can, and then we'll come get you. Well, that's fine, but you know if you if your bullpen ends up pitching half the game, eventually, as I said, it'll catch up with you. And I think that, uh, quite simply, is what's happened to this Twins team this year. That, and then we can't ignore the injuries. My goodness, if you took the players, position players, who are on the uh, injured list for the Twins right now, got them healthy and uh, put them in an exhibition game against the guys the Twins are running out there now, I put my money on the injured li- injured guys. Yeah, no question. And it goes back to, and uh, it seems like we're a broken record talking about this, uh, is Byron Buxton shut down for the season, do you think, with the way things are going? Well, I don't expect to see him in this Kansas City series and then the big Cleveland series. And and I don't know this. Um, I Byron wouldn't tell me and the, and the team wouldn't uh, won't tell me either. But I'm guessing that if we don't see him play in the Cleveland series, and then they'll assess where they're at. And if the margin is five right now, and if it's larger than that a week from now when that five-game series in Cleveland is done and all the head-to-heads are gone, uh, if the Twins haven't cut into that five-game lead, it wouldn't surprise me. And again, I don't know anything. But it would not surprise me to see the Twins just shut him down it's been obvious since April that what he needs, the only thing that's going to make that knee feel better, and he's had a subsequent hip injury too, the only thing that's going to make it better hopefully for next year is rest and recovery, and and it might be, unless the Twins can cut into the Cleveland lead a little bit, uh, that that rest and recovery started weeks ago. If things don't go well this week and we kind of get to the, to the end of the, you know, we're kind of, 
playing out the string here the last two, three weeks. Is there somebody you would like to see? You know, Winder came back up and filled in for Archer. Uh, Varlin pitched really well at Yankee Stadium. Is there a position player, maybe a pitcher, that you would like to to see maybe highlighted and see a little bit more here once we get toward the end of the end of the season? Well, I think Varlin will get another chance. In fact, I'm I'm confident he'll get a chance in that doubleheader Saturday in Cleveland. Uh, I, I think a big thing, if you want to skip forward to 2023 and beyond, the Twins have to get some confidence built of, about and within the Bailey Obers and Josh Winders of the world. They were counted on very heavily, and a lot of the injury situation that the, the Twins have dealt with all year, they, the Twins were counting on those guys to pitch a lot of innings this year, and they haven't been able to pitch for a long, long time. As you said, Winder came back the other day and did okay. But they're they're part of this pitching nucleus that the Twins wanted to carry forward. I asked Rocco Baldelli the other day, it's, it's not just this season, but in terms of the development of those pitchers, they were counting on those guys to ramp things up, pitch more innings this year than they did last in the hopes that in 2023, they could be counted on to pitch in the neighborhood of 160 to 200 innings. Well, that's not going to happen because they have been hurt uh, most of the year. But those guys are, you know, internal candidates to take spots in the rotation or be reliable long relievers, and it hasn't happened. So I guess, and I think the position players, anybody who could possibly play, I mean, my goodness, Jake Cave wasn't even on the 40-man roster, and he's become an everyday outfielder. I don't think there's anybody in the – minor leagues right now that I would like to see Matt Walner may make his debut next year, but uh, you, you've got to get some foundation built underneath the Obers and the winders uh, to try to get them in position where you can project them forward in 2023 as being uh, arms that you can rely on. Well, and you kind of look at it too, and I look at the injury list, and there's Randy Dobnak. Oh, forgot about him. And there's Maeda. Oh, that's right. He can, right. he could maybe come back and, and there's just there's there's a you know number there's a lot of well what if and possibly guys but yeah you're right they just need just stability in that rotation or anything else and that's been lacking for not just this year it's been a while right and what's concerning to me is that so many of these injuries are you know soft tissue injuries and that's the whole point of having expanded training staff strength and conditioning staff and it's not just the twins it's throughout baseball hopefully we get to the point where organizations look and and the game as a whole looks at things and says, you know, this isn't working, right? I mean, we, we got young guys in their mid twenties breaking down for some reason. And whether any of it's related to, you know, some of these guys not being able to pitch at all in 2020, because they were not on the 40 man roster. And we had, you know, that abbreviated season that was not really a season at all, but we've got to, the game, the industry has to come up with maybe a different program for these guys. So there aren't so many injuries. And again, it's not just the twins, but you've got guys that should be healthy and running around a baseball field. Instead, it seems like they're spending so much time in the training room. I, you know, it's a different game. I know, but uh, you know, the, the baseball rosters have been impacted by injuries more than the NFL rosters have been over the course of a season. And somehow there's, there's got to be a, a correction in that, I think, uh, to try to, you know, I think I joked uh, on this show earlier, I think what they ought to do in spring training is 
put a keg of beer, a carton of cigarettes, and a medicine ball on the floor in the middle of the clubhouse and just saying, go do your thing, guys. Let's get ready to play. <laughs> well, it certainly worked for a lot of guys when they were winning a World Series in 1987. That's for sure. It's a whole different animal. Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, they at the time in 87 and 91, and the game has changed. The, the you know, the way it's uh, played is different, all of that. But they had two trainers, and they didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. But I, I don't know whether, like in the case of pitchers, I know they used to do a lot of running because, you know, your 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 arm propels the ball, but the strength comes from your legs. And I don't see pitchers, you know, doing long-distance running anymore. Burt Blylevin, I know, is, you know, regularly running four or five miles in between starts. Uh, and, and it's different now. And it's supposed to be more scientific, and, and that, that's fine, but it just – Something's wrong. It's you know it's not working. Your best players are breaking down, and in in the case of guys like Ober and Winder, I mean they're they're supposed to be at their athletic peak right now in terms of their age, and they're still breaking down. So maybe something that uh, that's something that baseball will uh, address here shortly. Well, it's funny you say that because we have Dr. Phil Johnson on every Monday talking about sports injuries and all that, and. We, he and I talk quite a bit, and you know, looking at me, obviously, I don't, I'm not the picture of health, so it's not like him. But he does talk quite a bit about he thinks in certain sports we're not. He thinks core strength for baseball players a little bit more instead of a lot of weights because there's just different type of things that you do as a, a player in a baseball, and sometimes there's so much weightlifting that it's almost like a rubber band where you're almost you know pulling on it too tight and then it breaks. If that makes sense. Well, it does, and a long, long time ago when I was working in Iowa, they brought in Hayden Fry, the Hawkeyes did, as their football coach, and he told me once, he said, and this is weight training for football players, right? They've been doing that forever, but he said the reason football players were breaking down, and this is back in the early 80s now, the reason they're breaking down is there's too much weight lifting, and you can, you can strengthen muscles, which you really – and I'm not a doctor, but I've had people who know about these things tell me this, you can't do anything to strengthen cartilage or ligaments mm-hmm. or tendons, right? And so you have all this energy that's being you know, transmitted through the muscle fibers, but you're, to your analogy, yeah, the rubber band is still the same. And there's only so much that the rubber bands can hold before they snap. Yeah, now it's, I think a lot of people are. I wonder if they'll ever, you know, look at this down the road. It's it's a very interesting. One last thing for you, you know, a couple of years left in his contract. Max Kepler, you know, I don't think there's any doubt. Kind of a, a, a tough start to, you know, tough uh, twenty twenty two for him. You think he can bounce back? Because it's a shame. There's so much promise with this young man. Well, there was a play over the weekend, and I'm not sure Max has hit a ball harder than he did in. And again, forgive me, I don't remember which game it was, Friday or Saturday. He hit an absolute rocket to right field. And the second baseman was standing in short right field, and he had to make a diving catch to take a hit away from Kepler. And you could see the look on Max's face. It was like, well, what can I do? Well, the reason he's standing there is because you haven't hit enough balls to the other side of second base. It's an easy fix. You want to hit a ball like that and have it be a base hit, that's fine. But if you're not going to use the whole field, then they're going to play you there. At least they will this year. Next year, the shifts are going to be banned, and I could get off on another 20-minute rant about <laughs> we that. Might, we might do that. that to wrap up the season. Yeah, that might. yeah we'll, we'll save that for but another show. You know show. what I'm saying? I mean, 
that at bat is the perfect reason why Max Kepler has struggled so mightily over the last two years. If you're only going to use half the field, in my mind, and this is a simplistic way of looking at it, but that's kind of the way I look at things I could never do, and that includes hitting a baseball. But if you're only going to use half the field, you're only going to end up with half the hits. And so that's why I wish they wouldn't have outlawed the ban, uh, the uh, uh, infield shifts, because eventually the game would evolve again to what we grew up watching, which was, oh, you're going to play me over there? Fine, I'm going to hit it over there. And in banning the shifts, uh, I think we're just going to see more of the same. Now, that line drive that Kepler hit will be a base hit, uh, but it's something that, you know, Again, the game evolves constantly. It has for 150 years, and eventually people would come to their senses and say, oh, okay, so you you think I can only hit the ball there? I'll prove you wrong. But hitters haven't been brought up that way. And in the case of Max, he had great success just selling out and trying to hit home runs in 2019. He had, what, 34 of them, I believe. Well, and that's fine, but now it's a different game. It's a different baseball, and – you know, your job as a hitter isn't necessarily to hit home runs. It's simply to not make it out. Don't make it out. Because if you don't make it out, then you're on base or you scored a run and the next guy will have the same, you know, task. Don't make it out because you only get three of them in an inning. So I honestly don't know. I, I suspect uh, Max was grinning from ear to ear once he heard that the, the shifts are going to be bad next year. <laughs> well, and to your point earlier about, you know, along with that, not, you know, learning how to hit all fields, uh, I guess I'll wrap up in this. You brought up the whole thing of just throwing hard, too. And it makes me think about, you know, former Twins pitchers like Brad Rackey and Kevin Tappany. His fastballs are at, what, 91, but they're in low-key. One of the best pitchers ever, Maddox. Do you think we'll ever swing back to that a little bit where pitching actually matters, changing speeds is a big factor again? Well, I hope so, and I maybe have related this story before. Uh, Dave Goltz from Rossi, Minnesota, now lives in Fergus Falls. Uh, he's become a, a good uh, hunting and fishing friend of mine, and, and I was in the boat once, and, of course, he pitched before there were radar guns and all that. And I asked him once, I said, how hard do you think you threw? He says, I know exactly how hard I, I threw. I threw as hard as I had to, which yeah. meant back then it was assumed that if you took the ball to start the game – you'd better give your team at least seven innings. And in Dave's case, a lot of times he pitched nine. But you threw in the early innings as hard as you had to, not by stomping your foot on the accelerator from the game's first pitch, but locating the ball, you know, pitching it up and in, down and away, finding your spots and hitting those spots, and then not being out of gas by the time you get the fifth inning. And, you know, again, whatever we're doing in the game, you could argue very strongly that it's not working because you've got just a few pitchers out there, and Cleveland's got a couple of them. You've got just a few pitchers now who expect to go at least seven and might even go eight or nine. Yeah, well said. Well said. You hit the nail on the head. Enjoy the call of the game tonight. Again, on the radio side, 6 o'clock is the pregame show, and we'll talk to you again next Tuesday, Dick. You got it, guys. You bet. Dick Bramer again, the television voice of the Minnesota Twins, each and every Tuesday for the Twins Wrap. Derek Hansen, Brad Anderson with you, and we'll have a look at the Bison. Brad's Bison bits coming up. We'll get some of that for you. Matt Entz, you are able to talk to. Big weekend coming up in college football as the two North Dakota schools head to Arizona. 
One to the mountains of Arizona, one to the deep desert of Arizona. We'll chat about that when we come back here on the Jack Michael Show on 740 The Fan. Jack Michael's show, Brad Anderson, Derek Hansen with you. Before we talk about the big weekend in college football, we had a couple of stories here, just uh, really, you know, kind of scary and sad, obviously, with what happened, a spud football game yeah. on a Friday night. Yeah, and- we didn't get time to get to this yesterday, but we do have a story at KFGO.com. Uh, Don Haney did that, and I actually got a text about it as well yesterday. Uh, Connor Erickson, senior captain for Brainerd, uh, was injured Friday night, taken by ambulance, uh, suffered a, apparently a very serious head injury. Um, Caring Bridge update. We'll see if we can find an update on that. But uh, there really wasn't a specific hit or play that really has been determined that caused the uh, the injury. So there is swelling of his skull. Uh, he was uh, sedated, and uh, the high blood pressure that he has has uh, been declining as well. So we'll see if we can find any, any uh, more info on that. And uh, we talked quite a bit leading up to the you know the game that my hometown had against West Central Area. Tragedy there as uh, Tyler Stone, 18, and it's just a parent's worst nightmare, a car accident, uh, p- passed away on Sunday. Uh, Two-vehicle crash in Grant County. Just a sad story there, too, with a – and, and, and every wor- parent's worst nightmare. So well, certainly our thoughts are thinking. I think we're all thinking about that. That uh, is just the worst. The other thing is, too, they do have a GoFundMe page for uh, for Connor Erickson. So you can okay. check that out as well. And I know they have, they've been updating with Caring Bridge. But they do have a GoFundMe page if you want to help uh, help them out. And they've actually raised, last look, $61,000. The goal is $100,000. Oh, wow. They've got $61,700 right now. Well, all right. So no easy transition there going into kind of back to the, you know, just talking about football in general. And as we mentioned on KFGO this weekend, we're going to have the UND game at Northern Arizona. I think it's safe to say that win over Northern Iowa is huge. To, oh, no question. I mean, because that this looked like a gauntlet, you know, facing Nebraska, obviously. You have a very good, uh, you know, I think one of the top teams over the history of the FCS and how long here in Northern Iowa and then you go on facing Northern Arizona, which is always a tricky game. You know, you get in the altitude there, and yep. it's a, a different animal in, altogether. Indoors, and, yeah. yeah. And so you're going into that s- setting, and so this is a big game for them coming up. And uh, and NDSU is going to play in a very weird situation. Ten o'clock on their body clock time, Central Time, <laughs> in the heat. Luckily, it's at night though against the University of Arizona. I thought Arizona looked pretty good last week, so this is not going to be an easy one, but. Yeah. NDSU loves to feast on FBS schools, Brad. Yeah, yes, I'm trying to think the last FBS loss they've had, and I think I think here was it Iowa State. In I like think it was '09. Isn't that crazy? They beat Kansas in '10. They beat Colorado State mm-hmm. Gophers in '11. Yeah, I think it's like '09. Yeah, first time they've had an FBS game in six, six years, years, which yes. is crazy. That is pretty. They crazy. missed out on the Oregon one, obviously in 2020, which yep, is they unfortunate. got Colorado coming up, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Coach Hance, uh first an update on Eli Molster, who uh, suffered a pretty serious injury last week going to be out for for some time and so we'll uh get him as healthy as we can uh hopefully we'll knock on wood we'll get him back for this season potentially he could come back there's a potential uh again i think we'll know more as we as we move through the day i have not connected with our medical people i was out at the fcc the team makers golf event over the noon hour so i didn't get a chance to duck down there that injury is i believe it's a, a fibula uh potentially broken lower leg 
Does that change the defensive line rotation? May you shift guys around, or are you kind of going to keep the D, the inside D tackles there? Well, I think you'll, you'll probably see on base downs. You know, we do a lot of things substitution-wise and a lot of different personnel groupings, but I think early downs, first and second down, you'll probably see some similar names, just more reps had by some. Uh, could Spencer Wagey help us inside on third down? Probably. Uh, but we've got to find out where Spencer can help us, where we can create some one-on-ones uh, based on protection, based on the opponent that week. Uh, like guy like Jackson Dudenheffer, a young kid, a little more – uh, playing time, a little more of a role. Exactly. Him, probably a couple guys, Cody Heisman and Jackson Dutton have for uh, going to have to take some more reps. Uh, again, uh, you know, injuries are the are the part of the game that you you hate. They make you sick, especially when uh, it was he was just giving great effort and got rolled up on from behind. Um, but we've been in these situations before, and, and you guys have heard us say it before. Uh, next man up. That's why we that's why we practice the way we do. That's why we go about. Our process the way we do is so we can we can handle these moments and and I anticipate we'll do uh, we'll do just fine with with these young men they're they're hungry they've practiced they're excited to go similar mechanism as to what happened to Gindorf in the last a year. little bit yeah in the playoffs very similar yep and Babbage the year before to lean on younger guys in such a size position you know freshman you know, well you, that's you one of the reasons why you don't see very many of them play that freshman year is they just don't have the size. Uh, you guys have heard me say it uh, hundreds of times. It's easier to play early in your career the farther away from the ball you are. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. But, you know, Jackson Dutenheffer was probably a little bit ahead of the curve coming out of Mandan High School. Big physical kid, uh, you know, very strong already. And, you know, this last year and a half have been really good for him. Cody Heisman, state champion wrestler, you know, big time, you know, track and field guy. So these guys didn't come in, you know, the 220, 230, these guys were already 240, 250 when they showed up on campus. And, and coach, and, and the process isn't over, and, and this is probably going to have to expedite the process a little bit as well with their development. Arizona would probably be pretty easy for any player to look ahead to. How pleased have you been with how you guys have handled the, uh, the first couple weeks of the season, you know, against Drake and a and I, I, I was excited. Uh, I never heard any talk of it. Uh, I don't think our players heard any talk of it. We just focused on that week's opponent and wanted to go one and zero and continue to improve. Um, we're going to treat this game just like it, just like any other game. Uh, it, this is the only one we have this week, so of course it's the most important one we have. Just Zach Mathis now with a couple back-to-back games with touchdowns. I mean, what do you like with his development, and how might a guy like that uh, affect the game like you have on Saturday? Well. The development piece has been going on for a while. Unfortunately, he's been banged up, and people just haven't had the opportunity to see him get out on the field. Uh, you know, big, long receiver like him, uh, regardless of how fast you know a, a defensive back is, sometimes when you have a length advantage, it, it, it kind of nullifies some of the speed advantage maybe that a, that a corner might have. Um, again, still a big red zone threat for us. We haven't necessarily had to utilize the pass game in the red zone a bunch, but uh, again, Zach being 6'6 and, and, and being able to go up and get it like he did on Saturday, he was the only, probably the only person in the dome that could have gone up and got that pass. Challenges of preparing for a 10 o'clock central, 8 o'clock local kick. I know you played 8.30 in the dome here last year. What are the right. inherent challenges of that? Well, we're, we're going to logistically probably look at some of our schedules that we've utilized in the past when we've gone out to the East Coast. Of course, um, there is the two-hour time differential that we'll have to handle. But um, as far as us playing in the evening, these kids, they're night owls. They ain't going to have any problems staying up. And uh, 
um, anticipate there's going to be a great crowd. It's going to be a raucous environment, and uh, I don't think we'll have any problems keeping them engaged. I do think we'll probably do some things from a logistic and meeting standpoint to maybe keep them up a little bit longer on Friday, let them sleep in a little bit on Saturday, make sure we have some things scheduled during the day so we get them up moving around. Uh, I know Coach Kramer always likes to take them through like a, a stretch and a, and a form run, uh, kind of a flex period during the middle of the day just to, to get the body going once again. And um, I think we'll have a good plan. You know, we've, we're not going to move practice to the evening or anything. Again, we're, we're, we're just going to keep our practice and our, our process as it is. Uh, we were fortunate last week. We played two warm days, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday was easily over 90 degrees on the turf. Uh, that was good for us. Um, I think it uh, kind of reemphasized that we need to continue to hydrate. It'll be 85 degrees at kickoff. Uh, I don't think there'll be a sun issue. Just from I did end up watching the game, uh, as you asked me in the post game. So, yeah, that's uh, just some of the comments there. But, yeah, it's, even at – Eight o'clock at night, Mountain Time, still going to be eighty-five. Supposed to be like one hundred and one there yeah. on a Saturday. But it's a dry heat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well, it's, and it's I kind of wonder that too, just from me, you know, having the guys there, and you're used to a two thirty kickoff, and you kind of go about your if you're on the road, maybe one or one thirty. You know, that's five plus hours you got to sit around. And you have to. It's tough. Uh, you have to account for. Well, right? I mean, th- I think about high school days. You had school to kind of get you through, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you had that, but boy, you're antsy on a Friday, and I, and. Here you are just sitting around probably in a hotel conference room waiting and you're having meetings and you know, it's a long time. Your body clock's still on 10 o'clock central time and and here's 8 o'clock. But, yeah, as he said, I mean, college kids, they live by a little different uh, standard. Just sleeping in is something they like to do anyway. So yep. I think, you know, I, that's not what I'm going to worry. I, I think the most intriguing thing, I know a lot of people are going to this game. They're flying into Phoenix and making yeah. the drive down. That's you wonder and what kind of numbers it, are going to be. It's going to be pretty impressive, I think, how many green and gold. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 10,000, maybe 15,000. Yeah. I mean, that's Especially it. if you have people who have – Hey, you know what? We'll start our snowbirding now. I mean, honest with you, there's a lot of people <laughs> right. who live down there this time. You know, not too far from now, and maybe take the drive and get the van and get everything ready for whatever their winter home is down there. Yep, so. curious. There is on a lot of transfers. Quarterback Jaden Delora transfer from Washington State. Jacob Cowing, the wide receiver, uh, he's 34 straight games with a catch. That's the second most in uh, in, F- in FBS right now. Uh, he's a transfer from UTEP. They have really gone heavy on the uh, on the transfer side of things. So, and it's there have been some good some good signs there, and I you know I'm be interested. I haven't looked at the line yet, but I think I saw or heard yesterday it might be a pick 'em what the line's going to be. Interesting. Bison might be favored in this game going down there on Saturday. Well, Arizona's hard to figure because you know obviously they Mississippi State took it to them, which yeah. is an SEC school. I think there's just so much unknown there. Yeah, and then Arizona the crushed San Diego State, so you just don't know you know what do you have. So that's going to be something to watch here coming up here. Uh, you know, coming up on Saturday night. So busy weekend again. UND at Northern Arizona, NDSU at Arizona. So uh, pretty intriguing matchups for the two North Dakota schools down in Arizona this weekend in the uh, land of the deserts and mountains. <laughs> Just two contrasting places where they're playing in that neck of the woods. All right, uh, tomorrow night again, Red Hawks. We'll talk about that leading up on our Wednesday edition of the Jack Michael Show. Derek Hans and Brett Anderson in. Have a great rest of your Tuesday.